You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. All right, we kicked it off well with a little true and false there. And I didn't tell any other services this, but my wife did go skydiving, as you saw. And uh, we did not tell her dad for a year that I... uh, that was my spiritual leadership of taking her skydiving. So, um, and he, he let me live. It was good. You know, I, it was kind of touch and go for a while. True false is something we've all taken on an exam before. I actually love true false because you got a 50% chance of getting it right, right? That's better than multiple choice. So true false is something that we've got to talk about. And we're going to see actually in the verse, in the verses here in first Timothy about true false. Now here's why we got to talk about it. Because in our society, true True and false have become blurred. What used to be true now is said to be false. And what used to be said to be false is now true. And so we live in this blur of true and false where we don't really know which end is up. And so Paul is going to tell Timothy here in these passages and really the book of 1 Timothy to go against false teaching that we would be able to have truth of Jesus Christ, truth of the word of God, and to go against false teaching. So true and false is really, really clear for us to understand. We need to understand it. Let me give you a little quote and see if this kind of rings a bell with you just a little bit. Here's what one person said. Strange times are these in which we live, in which young and old are taught falsehoods in school. And the person that dares to tell the truth is called at once a lunatic and a fool. That sound like today's world? It was written by Plato in 400 BC. See, there's a tendency for all of us as humans to drift towards the false, to drift towards the darkness. Now, we maybe don't want to go all the way to dark, but we want to get to dusk instead of living at the sunrise. And so Timothy here is going to be called by Paul. Paul's going to write a letter to Timothy, and he's going to say, I want you to combat false teaching. I want you to put true here, because see, if the church gets upside down, society's upside down for sure, but if the church gets upside down, then we really got an issue. So we've got to be a right-side-up church in an upside-down world. And then we're able to shine with what is true and to negate what is false. And that makes all the difference. And too many times the false teaching is getting into the church. And so Timothy is told by Paul, I want you to go against this and I want you to stand against this. So we're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and grab your listening guide. Even if you didn't bring your Bible, I want you to grab your listening guide because I want to show you two things while you're turning to 1 Timothy. First of all, remember in Kainos, we have a part of Kainos called Difference Maker Ventures, and it's basically us supporting and helping ministry start. Well, one of the ones we help start is called 10,000questions.org. Their vision is to put 10 questions with every chapter in the entire Bible. So we've got here, they've, we're partnering with them to do 1 Timothy so you can get some study questions on 1 Timothy chapter 1 by hitting this QR code or going there. So that's one thing. And then also you'll notice with your listening guide, you got three hole punches and you type A people, we have heard from you. So now we have binders for you, okay, to kick it off. In corner books, you can buy a binder. And for those of y'all that, that this is 
type A people. This is a love language moment right here for you, okay? Because you'll get to put it in organized, then you'll put it on your shelf, and you'll think, I have a question about First Timothy, and you'll pull this off, and you'll look at the notes that you took on the message, and it'd be great. For those of y'all who are like, where's my listening guide? I don't know how, did I get a listening guide walking in? This is not for you, okay? The way you file your listening guides, you just throw them in the back of your car, and you put them on the floorboard in the back seat, okay? That's how it rolls for you. But for those of y'all that want this, Corner books, we got it. We got it ready for you. And now we're ready to take notes, okay? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump into 1 Timothy. We're gonna look at true. We're gonna look at false. We're gonna take notes. We're gonna be ready for it. We're gonna go to a deep level, okay? I'm gonna teach you a lot of things and I just wanna get you ready because you're gonna look at your watch in a little bit and be like, He's been talking 20 minutes and we've only done two verses. How long is this going to take? Okay, it's going to be a normal length of a message, but we're going to dig deep because we got to set the foundation for the whole book. So let me ask you a question and you have to respond back. Yes, loud and proud. Are you ready to learn something? Yes. Are you ready for God to move? All right, here we go, five o'clock. Don't get sleepy on me now. Here we go. We're gonna look in 1 Timothy chapter one, verse one and two. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll hit two more verses, but let's start there. How are we gonna combat false teaching in our life? How are we gonna not believe false teaching in our life? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to understand and know this well. We've gotta know well who and whose we are. Who and whose we are. So Paul begins here and he says, I'm Paul, you're Timothy. So the first thing, I wanna know who these people are. And then he's going to get to whose we are. Let's talk about the who. Paul is an apostle. Paul is an apostle. Now, if you ever wonder, well, what's the difference? Is a disciple an apostle? Is apostle a disciple? What, what's going on? These, these words kind of get interchangeable. So let's define for just a minute. Let me teach you what an apostle is. An apostle is one who is sent, okay? Sent out. A disciple is a follower. So a disciple of Christ is a follower of Christ. We'll see that all throughout, particularly the gospels. Then an apostle is gonna be the 12 apostles and they're gonna be sent out and the church is gonna be built on these guys, these leadership of these guys and other folks as well, but it's gonna be built on these guys. Now, as they send out the apostles, I'll show you that in just a second, in Luke chapter six, these apostles are gonna go out and they're disciples and they're apostles, okay? Now here's the way I wanna put it to you. To be an apostle, you gotta be a disciple, but to be a disciple doesn't mean that you're an apostle, okay? Let me put it like this. Hopefully all pastors are Christians, okay? Let's at least hope that, right? Okay, we really got an upside down problem. All pastors are Christians, but not all Christians are pastors. You see how it works? And so let me show you in Luke chapter six, beginning in verse 12, where these first 12 apostles are chosen. Now here's what it says in Luke chapter six, verse 12. During those days, he, that's Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Now this is really interesting. This is the only time that Jesus spends all night in prayer. Now we know in the Garden of Gethsemane that he prayed into the night. He spent all night in prayer. Here's a leadership lesson for you. Hiring is completely and very important, 
okay? So he spends all night deciding who's going to be the apostles so that he can send them out. So if you're an employer, spend a lot of time deciding who you're going to hire because it makes a huge difference. So it says then further on in verse 13, when daylight came, so the night is over, he summoned his disciples. This is a group of men and women. And he chose 12 of them whom he also named apostles. Remember, you got to be a disciple, at least if you're going to be an apostle. So out of these men and women, he's choosing these four guys. Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Just want to know right in the beginning, he didn't, it didn't work out well for Judas, okay? And after coming down with them, he stood down in a level place in a large crowd of his disciples, now a bigger group, and a great number of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and on it goes. So here we have that these 12 men were chosen. Obviously, Judas didn't work out well, so we ended up with Matthias came in in Acts. So we got these 12 apostles. Now, are these guys important guys? Yes, they are. So much that in Revelation chapter 21, it says that the 12 gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel in the New Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 14, Revelation 21, and the city wall had 12 foundations, strength of building. 12 foundations and the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles were on the foundations. Now, Paul was not mentioned in that list. So what's the deal with Paul? He says that he's a man of untimely birth is what he calls himself. And he says, though, Jesus appeared to him in Acts chapter 9. He saw the risen Christ. Jesus spoke to him and Jesus sent him out as an apostle. So Paul is one of these apostles too. That it was untimely birth. He wasn't walking the path with Jesus at that time, but he saw the resurrected Christ. So we get back to this verse of scripture in 1 Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Nine out of the 13 books that Paul writes, he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, this is a big deal. He and Timothy were brothers, okay? They were, they were bros. They were friends. You're going to see that Paul led Timothy to Christ. Many people think Paul and Timothy were connected. So the letter could be to Timothy, yo, Tim, what's up, bro? How you doing? Let's go get some loopy tortillas after you finish the message at the church of Ephesus, right? No, he makes this more of an official document. If I was to send a letter to my mom, I'd write, love Greg. If I was to send a letter to the church, I'd say, in Christ, Pastor Greg. You see, a little bit more official. Now, you're my friends too, but, okay. So here he says, this is an official document because we're gonna build the church. First Timothy, second Timothy, and Titus are what's called pastoral epistles, pastoral epistles. Now, in 1703 is when that name was around them because these are the churches, a man, a pastor called it the pastoral epistles because those three books are giving us building blocks of what the church is to look like. Because we're gonna have an upside down society, we gotta have a right side up church. And so Paul says, I'm an apostle, the apostle Paul, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, one other little thing, just as a little pass by, he doesn't say Jesus Christ, he says Christ Jesus. It's interesting in the scriptures, when you see Jesus Christ, the writer is trying to lift up Jesus as a person living a sinless life. When he says Christ Jesus, he's trying to primarily lift up his title, okay? So it's maybe Greg, Pastor Greg type thing, which is gonna come first in that. So Christ, the Savior, Jesus. So Paul's getting really official 
and he's declaring this. He's saying, Paul, an apostle, now we know that, of Christ Jesus, we got that, by the command of God. Do you see the weight that's falling on this? It's a big deal. He says, Timothy, I want you to listen up. So Paul is defining himself by the command of God, nine out of 13 books. He says he's apostle, and this is one of those he says. The second who is Timothy, okay? We gotta know this if we're gonna study this book. Who's Paul? Paul's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Who's Timothy? Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So you know the book of Ephesians? He's the pastor of the book, or excuse me, of the church in Ephesus. Not at First Baptist Church Ephesus, like first church in the history of Ephesus, okay? Big deal. So Timothy is, let me give you a description. He's young, he's sickly, and he's afraid. Perfect for God to use. Perfect for God to use. You know who God couldn't use? Had to get some things Jesus couldn't use? The young, rich ruler. That was a problem. If you think you're, well, hey, I'm young. Hey, I'm rich. I'm the ruler. What's up, Jesus? You want to use me? I'm ready to go. You need a star quarterback? You got me. No, he says, I'm going to use Timothy in this way because he's young and he realizes he doesn't have the wisdom and he needs me. He's sickly. He realizes he needs my strength and he's afraid. So he's going to have to walk by faith on every single moment. So if you feel like, man, I don't know. I I don't know if God can use me. I'm not sure if God even has a plan for my life. You stay humble and you stay focused and you walk with God and God will do some amazing things with you. He loves using the unlikely. So Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus, is going to be used. So the who of Paul, the who of Timothy, and the who's of belonging to Jesus. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you are in what you want to be as your character? Do you know who you are as a man of God, as a woman of God? Do you know who you are in your family if you've come from a great family? from a good family that's walking with God, you belong. You go to church, you don't do drugs. This is who we are. This is what we do. We walk with God. But more than who you are, do you know whose you are? That you belong to God. He says that it is, in verse one, it says, by the command of watch, God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. We belong to Christ who is our savior and our hope. We belong to Christ who is our savior and our hope. Whose we are, if you call yourself Christian, which means little Christ, you belong to Christ who is what? The savior. And you belong to him who is what? The hope of the world. Now, let me say something really big. I want everybody to listen. You ready? Everybody's listening. Everybody's paying attention. Here we go. You got to pay attention to this. I've been wanting to tell you this all week long. Okay, ready? Here it is. Very big. The church is to be about salvation and hope. That's what the church is to be about. You see it? I got it right out of the scripture. God, our savior, Jesus, our hope. So the church is to be about salvation and hope. That's what it's to be about. Now, we do a whole lot of other things, and that's great, but they should all tie back to salvation and to hope. We did a fun run. It was great. Remember that with the five? I ran in it. I didn't run quite the 5K of it, but I ran at least a mile of it. It was great. We raised money for missions to be able to declare salvation and hope to people. I heard this week in in a meeting that I was in, do you know that our church, your church, my church, our church, that just this year, it's only August, y'all, in this year, we have given away over 3 million 
pounds of food to people who are in need. Can we cheer for that? Come on now. Three million pounds of food. And I want you to know, particularly ladies, I want you to know this. We have a great relationship with Trader Joe's. We get all their flowers that are a little bit old. And you know what we give to these moms that are coming in and they get food for their family and they can't afford food. And we give them a bag of food. We share the gospel with them. We give them a bouquet of flowers when they leave so they can have something pretty in their house. Why do we do that? Because we want them to see the hope of Jesus Christ so that they can respond in salvation of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? The whole thing, everything a church does. I mean, if you move and go to a different church, you ask if they are about salvation or are they about hope. And if they're not about salvation and hope, you keep on walking, okay? If you don't bring, they don't, they don't open up this thing right here, you keep on walking. Because the Bible's where you're gonna find that salvation and hope. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. And so we trust in that. We rest in that. And we trust God's plan. Look at verse three and verse four. Here we go. Verse three and verse four. And as I urged you, when I went to Macedonia, so Paul left Ephesus, he went on his second missionary journey. Then he went back on his third missionary journey, he stayed there for three years. He says, when I left and went to Macedonia, I urge you to remain in Ephesus so that, Timothy, you got a big job. I want you to stay in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty specul speculations rather than, here's my, here's my point, listen. God's plan which operates by faith. Hold to God's plan, not man's perspective. Hold to God's plan not man's perspective. He says, look, the false teaching that's going around, they're taking all these genealogies, all these Old Testament scriptures, you know, that you and I skip where it says, so-and-so is the son of so-and-so is the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And it's like a whole chapter. I mean, I, I, I won't get to the next chapter. They would take all that and they would say, oh, we'll see, uh, this is how this genealogy works. And then they make myths out of it. And then they'd say that this, that, and the other. And so he says, don't get into all that endless speculation. You stay on salvation and hope. You stay on what is true. You hold to God's plan. God's plan, not man's perspective. Now, Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he actually predicted that these people in Ephesus would have false teaching. Here's what he said. He said, on my departure, he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. On my departure, ravenous wolves will come in and devour the flock. So he's saying, there's gonna be false teaching. So he predicted it years before. And now he's writing to Timothy, I told you this was gonna happen. So you need to protect against this because there's just this, this move towards dusk that we seem to have. Plato, 400, same quote we could relate to today. Paul predicted it. Now let me tell you about Ephesus. I've been there, it's a beautiful city, it was a port city, now it's not, the water has gotten further away from the city, gorgeous city, lots of ruins, beautiful in, in Turkey now is where it is, modern day. And so Ephesus was an amazing commercial city, big, huge city, had about a quarter of a million people, so this is back biblical times, that's a really big city. Had all sorts of trade, all sorts of commercial things. But the main thing that it had there is it had a temple. It was a temple to a goddess, a false goddess, named Diana. Diana would be the Roman name. Artemis would be the Greek name. Same goddess, different names. Artemis is the Greek name. 
Uh, yeah, Artemis is the Greek name. Diana is the Roman name. If your name's Diana, it's cool. You got a great name. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You're a princess, right? It's all well. So to be able to have this, this same goddess that was worshipped in Ephesus. Let me show you a statue that they found from ancient ruins. This is the goddess Diana, the goddess Artemis. Now, does anybody want to throw away the true God of Jesus for this? No, not me. This little bitty statue, I don't think this is going to do it. Now, notice that it's got these, these, uh, these little round things kind of hanging off her. Do you see that? She was the goddess of fertility and of midwives and of birth and all that sort of stuff. So they think that these could be here, they could be breasts is what they could be, they could be eggs is what they could be, but they're symbolizing fertility. And so in this, to be able to have the worship, particularly ladies would worship, because in those days, lady, childbearing could also often bring death. So they would reach out and they'd say, Oh, goddess, Diana, would you be my savior as I give birth to this child? You see it? And Paul says, no, no, no. Jesus is the savior. I want you to trust not in man's crafting of an idol. I want you to trust in God's plan, not man's perspective. Can we trust in false teaching sometimes? Do we have false teaching coming at us? We do. It's not a little statue. It's not about a fertility God. It's not about any of that stuff. Here's how it comes, false teaching comes to us. These are some things I wrote down as I was just thinking, well, what's some false teaching that's coming at us in a society? So here's some few things that I wrote down that I came up with. You can maybe come up with more. That'd be great. It'd be a great exercise. Here, I'm going to give you about seven of them. Here's some things that I I thought are false teaching. Shifts in culture mean shifts in biblical truth. That's false. God desires our happiness over our holiness. It's false. My reality is reality. False. Talent and fame excuse character and bad behavior. False. Biblical truth needs cultural approval to be valid. False. Paul doesn't need Starbucks to agree for it to be true. Sincerity and a little morality plus a few good works equals salvation. False. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ. It has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Last one, my God, little g, is as good as the real God, big G. False. This is coming at us all the time. And we've got to know who we are, whose we are, and the truth of God's plan over man's perspective. Students, I want you to know, it does not matter what your friends say. It matters what God says. Your friends have a perspective that is very, very limited. And here, these ladies were turning to Diana and other men as well and saying, we want the God to save us. And Paul and Timothy are saying, no, there is a one true God and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the savior and he's the hope of the world. How incredible is that? See, God's plan requires faith. God's plan requires faith. I read it to you right there, but let me remind you of it. It says this, don't promote empty speculations rather than God's plan. We just said, let's choose God's plan over man's perspective. Well, what is God's plan? God's plan, which operates by faith. 
God's plan, which operates by faith. God's plan requires faith. That's the blessing of God's plan. That's kind of the burden of God's plan. If you're going to walk with God, it's going to require faith. It's going to require faith in three areas. Number one, it's going to require faith in salvation. Salvation means that you are, are moving from the broad road to the narrow road. It means that you move from death to life. It means your eternity is moved from separated from God in hell to with God for eternity in heaven. And that we trust in Jesus by faith that he died on a cross, rose again, and I place my faith in him that that is the forgiveness of my sins. So now I know my eternity is secure with God. Had uh, an older lady this morning, just this morning, it's pretty funny. She said, pastor, it's hot outside. I said, yes, it is. She said, well, I hope people know hell is hotter. (laughs) And I was like, well, I didn't thought about that as an evangelism tool, you know, Houston weather. That's amazing. But, you know, feels like 106 ain't anything like feels separated from God. So salvation in Christ requires faith in Christ. Well, I go to church. does not matter. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Growth in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, you want to grow in him, that requires faith as well because you're going to have to take some steps out of some unknown places. You say, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to step out in faith and that's going to grow you in your relationship. Purpose in your life is going to require faith in Jesus Christ because I don't know if you're going to use me, Lord. I'm young, I'm sickly, and I'm afraid. You say, you walk with me in faith and you just step out on that water and you trust me and I'll take care of you and you'll find purpose and you'll find salvation and you'll find growth. I should have said it earlier, but remember in the second verse where it said grace, mercy, and peace? If you discover grace, if you discover mercy, you're gonna have peace. And we're all looking for peace. Well, the way you get peace is the grace of Jesus Christ, the mercy of God, and then you walk in the peace of Christ. So here's the big question. If God's plan requires faith, here's the foundational question, Will we embrace God's plan? That's a big question. Will we embrace God's plan for giving and say, you know, Lord, I trust that the 90% will go farther than the 100%, so I'm going to give you a tithe. I'm going to give. I'm going to be a generous person. Do we embrace God's plan? Do we embrace God's plan for spending time with the Lord, as we've been talking about with with our, our previous series of time together? Do we embrace God's plan to realize that beginning the day in God's word actually changes the rest of the day? If I give him the time in the morning, it sets the course for the rest of my day, not as some big reward, but as focusing my mind. Do I embrace God's God's plan to spend time with him and read the Bible? Do I embrace God's plan with sharing my faith? Do I embrace God's plan with trusting that he's got me even in the midst of a trial? Do I embrace God's plan to persevere even in difficult times? Do I embrace God's plan or do I say, no, 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 Lord, I don't want your plan. I want my plan. See, if you're going to honor God, you got to walk by faith. Do you know what the name Timothy means? The beginning of it, Timon, means honor, theos, means God. Timothy means, Timotheos means to honor God. And that's exactly what Timothy does with his life by walking by faith. So salvation, growth, purpose all require faith. Now I want to show you a little video clip and I want you to get a kick out of it because I've watched it numerous times and I love it. I think it's just, I think it's hilarious and awesome all at the same time. Okay. 
Now, this video clip is of a guy named Alistair Begg. He's a pastor from Scotland, and he's actually a pastor in Ohio, but he's got a Scottish accent. And you know, when a pastor speaks in a British or a Scottish accent, they're just smarter, right? I mean, it just is. It's just how it is. It's more entertaining to listen to. So he speaks in the Scottish accent. What he's talking about is there was three crosses. Jesus was on the center middle cross. There's a thief on either side, criminals on either side. And one of the criminals turns his heart to Christ. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation isn't up to us. Salvation is putting our trust in Jesus. That's the point that's trying to get across. Now, this guy couldn't have gone to a Bible study. He couldn't have gone to a church. He's hanging on a cross. And Jesus says, because of your faith, you will be with me in paradise. So feel free to laugh a bit, but feel free to feel the power of this as well. As Alistair Begg gives us a clear word, about a minute and a half. Let's check it out. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, did Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Then go get the supervisor, Angel. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I've never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring, and eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Is that awesome or what? Yeah, let's cheer for that. And I'm telling you by faith, the man on the middle cross said you could come to salvation, to growth, and to purpose. How will we respond? And the whole job of the church, Timothy, Paul's saying, is salvation and hope. Keep telling everybody. They're going to that idol. They're going to the temple of Diana. They're worried about about babies and, and worried about their fertility and worried about all these things with a goddess. You just keep telling them to walk by faith. Faith that the man on the middle cross said come. And when we walk in real truth, it points to real love. When we walk in real truth, it points to real love. And our world tells us all the time that real truth is, or excuse me, real love is actually the negation of real truth. But when we walk in real truth, and we get the true and false right, and we don't live in the blur. We live in the truth. We'll understand the false. We'll have peace, 
and we'll realize that the man on the middle cross has got everything we could ever need because that man lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on that cross, rose again from the grave, and he's coming back. And you and I got this moment right here called life. And in that moment, let's trust in the plan of God over the perspective of men. And if we don't, we'll be just as upside down and we won't know light from darkness, east from west, right from wrong, north from south. Let's be the church of the people of God that walk in the truth of God by who he is. So hear it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. God the Father, our Savior in Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. Don't believe in all the speculations, but you trust in God's plan that requires faith. And the man on the middle cross will change the whole deal. That, my friend, is quite a prologue. The verses we typically skip is what we just went over. God's got something for us in this book. And it's going to be basically this. Guard the gospel because it's good news and it'll change your life. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we give you thanks, Lord. You're great. You're mighty. So much false teaching is coming at us all the time. And we just come, Lord, and we tell you, we need you. We trust you. We love you. And we ask, God, that you would move in our hearts and our lives. Right now, I just want to lead you just real quickly through a time of prayer. Think about that man on the middle cross. Have you come to him in salvation? Have you come? Place your faith in Jesus to forgive your sins. Ask him to be your savior. If not, right now, right where you sit, you can say, Lord, I know I've sinned. There's no, there's no debate. I know I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me and save my soul. You're the Lord. You don't have to do anything, really. It's just placing your faith in Jesus and calling out on him. That man on the middle cross, are you allowing him to grow you spiritually? To grow you. Are you walking deeper in faith today than you were a year ago at this time? Or are you just stagnant? Pray to him and say, Lord, grow me. I want to walk in truth, not in false. Are you looking for purpose? Ask him to give you purpose of his plan. Jesus, thank you. You weren't just the man in the middle cross. You were the holy one born in the manger. You weren't just born. You also 
lived and did miracles and testified that you were the son of God. And then you hung on that cross for us, for our sin. And then you rose again and you're coming back. May we be ready for the return of Christ. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.